Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Awesome. I'm excited. Sorry. I'm a little particular sometimes. Got to get this right. So before I get into the message, I want to highlight something here. How many of you guys have visited our resource table in the lobby before? Okay. This is, this is not a bad thing. There's no shame here. But who has not visited the resource table? Okay. So the resource table is going to come to you tonight. <laughs> guys, there's a table out there. If you have not visited, I really want to encourage you to go check it out. Even if you have been there, then you already know how awesome it is, and I don't have to explain it to you, but there's so many uh, amazing books and different things out there that will help encourage and build your faith. There's also like really cool merchandise, if you've seen the Bethel Austin hoodies and stuff like that. Like I had to go before service the first week they were out because I wanted to make sure they didn't sell out, so there's cool stuff like that out there, but really, I mean, this is the goods. This is, this is stuff, you know, along with the Word of God that is going to build and equip you to serve him like my brother was talking about all in 100% right so for those of you who have not visited the resource table before have any of you not read culture of honor by danny silk yeah you come right there and the, yes you in the bethel austin hoodie wait hold up hold up hold up you said you never went to the table before uh, uh, no, it's okay go ahead <laughs> I won't tell Danny you haven't read his book. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Raising Giant Killers by Bill Johnson. Anybody not have this one? Who, who has kids and has not read? I might keep this one for myself. Confession time. I haven't read it. I, I need to read this one. But, I, but I'm feeling generous. I'm going to give it right to you, sir. Come on, right there. Yeah. Yes, you. Awesome. Bless you guys. So I want to encourage you guys, go check out the resource table. There's lots of great stuff out there. You'll be blessed, I promise. And now I'm opening my computer so we can get this started. Oops. Praise the Lord. Well, like I already said, I'm excited tonight. I'm excited for tonight. But you know what? God is more excited. Tonight is the beginning of Pesach or Passover. The feast of the Lord and the feast start at sundown. Every day starts, it goes from sundown to sundown. So tonight, uh, I think we just entered in a few minutes ago probably, whenever actual sundown is, was the beginning of the Feast of Passover. So we just entered into Passover. And think about this for a second. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. When he gave them to Israel, he said they're my feasts. He didn't say they're the Jewish feasts. He didn't say they're a cultural thing. He said these are the feasts of the Lord. They're appointed times. Think about this. Tonight is on God's calendar. 
God has been checking his calendar. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. I see that. That day is marked. Tonight is marked on the Lord's calendar. It's an appointed time. And I want to encourage you that you're not here by coincidence. I don't care if you've been here from the very beginning. I don't care if you're here visiting. This is not a coincidence. You're not here just because it's Saturday night. You're here because it's an appointed time. You're here to meet with the Lord. And of course, we know as believers that we, the veil has been torn. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can meet with the Lord at any time. But you know, I can see my wife every day, any day. Anybody married in here? Right? You see your spouse all the time. But if that was enough, if I never set aside a date night, I don't think my wife would be very happy. If we did not set aside special times, something happens, a, a, a mundaneness in the relationship, right? We have to have these special times. Why do we celebrate anniversaries? Why do we celebrate birthdays and these different things with family and friends? Why? Because we're celebrating our friendship, our relationship. There are special appointed times, things that we look forward to knowing that something special is going to take place on that day. Something special is going to take place today. I want to start us out with a story. Something happened right around this time of year, a few thousand years ago. Can I read for a little while? Is that all right? I'm going to read in Luke 24. You can turn there if you want. Verse 13. I'm reading out of ESV. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come and rest on us. Fill us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Connect us more to your heart. All right, story time. <clears throat> that very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in, in these days? That's right, I don't need that one. And he said to them, What things? Jesus has a sense of humor. <laughs> and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at a tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, 
they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, this is Jesus' response to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This has been the desire of my heart. I'm on a journey where my heart is burning, and I'm desiring for God to open the scriptures to me. I want to understand the scriptures from the beginning to the end. From Moses, I want to see Jesus from the very beginning, from Moses all the way through. And there's so much mystery, there's so much revelation, there's so much truth, there's so much wealth in the scriptures. But we really, we have to step back and view it as one story, as one big picture. Tonight, as we're entering into Passover, I want to use the story of Passover and the history of Passover to kind of show how God weaves all these things through history and through the Word of God. These appointed times aren't just a singular moment, but they're, they're, they're repeating again and again and again. Because when we do that, we step into this beautiful uh, walkway, this path, this trajectory of the kingdom of heaven. Everybody reach out your hands. <laughs> Lord, we don't know what's going on in kids' church, <laughs> but we like it and we say more of it. Bless our children, God, Holy Spirit. It's fine with us if you show up with revival in that room and we quit what we're doing and we go in there to encounter you. God, give it to the kids. Woo! I really love our church. I'm totally going to lose where I was, but I love our church. I love it when you're in the middle of service and you get outdone by kids' church. Way to go, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Should I keep going or should we just all head over there? 
thank you, Lord. No, I was saying, when we look at Scripture that way, it's a, it's a whole picture. When we can see it in that way, is Jesus, as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes like he did with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, we see that there's this path, this trajectory, this continuity in the Word of God and in the kingdom of God that is progressing throughout history. And what we see is there is a clear, definite origin, and there's a clear, definite destination. And in these days, every day, but especially in these days, this is so important for us to understand and to really lay a hold of. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Renee was talking about the Word of God, and she was sharing about a progressive church that is denied the Bible as the infallible Word of God. How many of you guys were here? That was an amazing message when she was preaching. If we lose sight of where we've come from or where we're going, we're going to be lost. We'll go, we'll go astray. So many people want to argue the origin, but the Bible is clear about it. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good. And God separated light from darkness. In verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We have an origin. God is our origin. Created in his image. He took from himself. He, he took the, the, the mud, the dust of the earth, and breathed his own spirit, his own breath into it, to animate us, to give us life. Our origin is God. We cannot be separated from our origin. Yet some people would try to debate that. Some people would try to rationalize that. Some people would try to, to remove us from our history, from our roots. And we have a destination. We're going somewhere. We're not just wandering. Revelations 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We have a destination. God is our destination. He is our beginning and he is our end. He is our origin and he's, he's the finish line. He's the target. He's where we're headed. To be reunited with him. Now, this is basic stuff to us, right? But come on, when we let just these little things come in and try to remove us from these what we would call basic truths, or undermine the word of God, we start to lose these things. And it's so important that we hold on to these things and that we can see this is a trajectory that the, that the kingdom of heaven is actually moving along a path. 
Anybody here ever been sailing? I've been sailing a couple of times. Living on the island of Cyprus, I went out with my brother-in-law on a sailboat. I'd never been sailing before in my life. It was a lot of fun, but we're out there sailing. You know, we're, we're, I can still see land, but we're a ways out there. And my brother-in-law, Roy, says, okay, Jahi, I want you to keep us from going to drift. And I'm like, I'm, I've never been sailing. I haven't done this before. I don't know, that, that sounds like a pretty important job. <laughs> like, make sure we don't get lost out here at sea. You sure you got the right guy? And I'm like, okay, Roy, uh, how do I do that? He's like, it's easy. You pick two, space, two points on land. You pick a point on the shore, and you pick a point behind it. And you just make sure we stay in a straight line. If you only have one point that you're looking at, you can be drifting, and you're just looking straight at that point, and you don't know. But when you have two points, and you make a third point, you can make sure you're staying in a straight line, and you're not going to drift. If we can step back and look at Scripture as a big picture, as, as all an eternal plan unfolding Throughout time, if we can see the origin as well as the target, we can step back and know if we're staying in a straight line. Or we can pick and choose. At our convenience. At our comfort level. Of the things that tickle our ears the things that line up with what I already believe and just pick one point and say, okay, I'll believe that. That, that part, I, I don't want to believe. That part offends my personality. That part offends my belief. That part offends my, my social structure around me. But this point I'm okay with. So I'll hold on to this point, but the rest I'm going to let go of. Well, you can hold on to that point all you want, and you can be drifting all over the place and have no idea where you are. But if you will take every point throughout Scripture, realizing that it's infallible, realizing that it's non-negotiable, realizing that not a single jot or tittle will depart from the law until we reach our destination, and the kingdom is fulfilled, then we can hold ourselves in a straight line and know that we are in that path, in that trajectory. You know, we all believe in the Word of God. I'm, I believe we believe in the Word of God. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of good feedback when I'm saying this. So I believe that you are believing and agreeing with me right now that we don't want to pick and choose. Get that hanky, Eddie. But I want to challenge us. I believe that the Lord intentionally reveals himself in different facets and in multiple ways. Don't get me wrong. God is our sole focus. But he reveals himself as 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who was and is and is to come. If God is choosing to reveal himself in multiple ways, how foolish would it be of us to latch on to one revelation or one point and camp out there and just only hold that? Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain people, there are certain ministries that are called to champion certain um, gifts or there are certain anointings. And it doesn't mean that we, we don't go after those things. Some people are going to have more gifting or anointing and healing. Some are going to be more prophetic. Some are going to be more evangelistic. And that's good and that's right. There's nothing wrong with pursuing those things. But if, if that's all we're looking at, if we take one thing, one aspect of God, I'm going to poke it a little bit, okay? If we only see the grace of God, if we only see the love of God, are we missing out? Now, His grace is sufficient. I'm not demeaning or diminishing the grace of God at all. I'm not diminishing his love, but part of the problem is if we hold that up as one point and we're not lining it up with scripture, we will misinterpret what the love of God is and how the love of God is manifested. He loves me, so he disciplines me. He corrects me. He chastises me because he loves me. And I know that because I'm looking at his love in line with scripture. Can you guys see what I'm holding up here? Yeah, it's a puzzle piece. If we're trying to put together a puzzle, if we're looking at the big picture and we take one piece, I can't see anything but this one piece. But when I step back and I'm looking at the big picture, I can see this one piece that I've been entrusted with where it fits into the big picture. This is my piece. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm supposed to have this. I'm supposed to steward this. I'm supposed to use this. But if the whole kingdom, if the entirety of the kingdom is my one piece of the puzzle, how much am I missing out on? If I can't see how my piece of the puzzle connects to Dylan's piece of the puzzle and to Ben's piece of the puzzle and to Eddie's piece of the puzzle, how much am I missing out on? What richness am I missing out on? So I want to use the story of Passover to illustrate this a little bit more. And we're going to go through the scriptures and look at different things that have happened during Passover. This story that I started with, with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, was just after Passover. Because we know Jesus was crucified during Passover, right? The reason they were there is because it was one of the annual feasts. There's three annual feasts that the Lord commanded 
his people to come up to Jerusalem to celebrate. Passover, Shavuot, or, or Pentecost, and Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So they had all come up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and they were leaving when he encountered them. So we're going to go through some different things, but of course, let's start at the origin. We're going to go to Exodus 12. Now, I'm reading some larger chunks in here tonight because I want the full picture. I don't want to cherry pick. I don't want to, you know, just have a bunch of one lines, but I want to set some context. So Exodus 12, this is the first Passover. We know the story, right? The children of, of Israel are, are in the land of Egypt is slavery in slavery, and there's been all these plagues and all this stuff. And then the Lord comes and speaks to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on fire and with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Hmm, yummy. <laughs> Making sure you're still awake. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And in all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So who started this? Whose idea was it? So I think it's safe to say then it's probably a good idea. If it's God's idea, if he started it, it's probably a good idea. Now there's just a few things that I want to point out in here that we would grasp some of this stuff. Imagine being in the land of Egypt. Imagine being a slave. You're, you're living in Goshen you're with, I mean, there's guesstimates, you know, it's over a million Jewish people. 
You've seen all these plagues, all this judgment, all this stuff. You know the Lord has said that he's going to bring you up out of Egypt. And he comes and he gives this command. He gives you instructions to do this. Imagine a million people being out there in the flocks. Here, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me. You get your jet. Nope, no, you get your, nope. Every. Imagine going outside and all of Austin <laughs> is collecting lambs. Now, here's a little pop quiz. See who's paying attention. What day were they to collect the lamb? Tenth, on the tenth day. Where were they supposed to take it? To home. They brought it home. What day were they supposed to slaughter the lamb on? I'm not a genius. It's four days, right? Think about it. You're living with a lamb in your house for four days. And you know exactly what's going to happen to that lamb. Some of you are going, oh. But do you think there was a point to that? Why didn't they go get it on the 13th day and kill it on the 14th? I mean, I understand proper preparation, right? Don't, don't wait till the last minute. Don't go out on the 14th day because if you don't find your lamb, there's a shortage of lambs like it's toilet paper or something, you know? <laughs> there's a mad dash at HEB and there's no lambs left. But why did everybody go out on the 10th day, take it home, and live with the lamb for four days? I think God wanted them to be very aware of what was happening. He wanted them to be up close and personal with the lamb that was about to be slain on their behalf. You catching where I'm going with this? He didn't just have the shepherd come by and deliver it. It wasn't Amazon. It didn't show up on the doorstep. You go out and pick a lamb, a year old and without blemish. That also means, think about it, you couldn't just go out there and grab the first lamb you found and drag him home. You're out there looking, searching. Inspecting the lambs. Well, no, no, not quite right. No, that lamb's eyes look a little funny. All right? To find the perfect lamb without blemish. Take it home and live with it for four days. Now imagine the, the 14th day. What would the scene be with a million people all bringing out their lamb and slaughtering them at the same time? 
you think that would have had some impact? I mean, I'll be honest, I've never killed a lamb. I've never been there when a lamb was being butchered. But could you imagine a million lambs all at the same time? Do you think God was trying to ingrain something into the people? He's using very strong imagery, but we can just glance over these stories. We can just read it and, and, and go right over it, you know. I'm, I'm waiting until I get to the good stuff. I want, where's, where's, where, oh, parting of the Red Sea. Manna from heaven. I want the good stuff. But think about it. He was ingraining something into the people. It was the origin story that he wanted them to be very familiar with, and he wanted it to be impacting. Why? Because he was setting them on a course. Now, the Jewish people, they observe Passover, and they recount, they retell the story of the Exodus, of God bringing the people out of Egypt. It's a really beautiful ceremony. If you've never had an opportunity to participate in a Seder, I want to encourage you to do it. I'm hoping that when we're in our own facility that we'll get to celebrate the feast. My wife and I would love to host these things for you, so I'm believing there's a saying, normally you say next year in Jerusalem, at Passover, it's a, a statement of hope and faith, like, hey, next year, let's do this in Jerusalem. But I'm going to say next year at Bethel Austin, <laughs> Pesach 2022, right? We'll have a Seder. But the Jewish people, they'll, they'll recount this, the whole story, the deliverance out of Egypt. They go through all the plagues. They go through God bringing them up out of, out of Egypt to the promised land. And often as, as Christians, as believers, we focus on Easter and we focus on the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Both powerful stories. Both are in the word. Both are true and good. But again, if I'm only seeing one, am I missing a trajectory? See, because when we look at one story, we look at one point, we're focused on a, a point, and that's stagnant. But when we see a trail, it creates movement, it creates momentum, it creates direction. And it reminds us that we have a destination. So we're going to go through, I'm just going to do this quickly, um, and I'm just going to go through some other scriptures are examples of where there is Passover celebrated or kept in, in scripture. Some of them are quite significant. Some of them are, you know, they're in there. So we just read Exodus 12 where the Passover was instituted. It's mentioned again in Deuteronomy in chapter 16 where the Lord tells the people when they're still in the wilderness that they will celebrate the Passover in the place where he is setting his name, in the place where his name will dwell. And he's actually commanding them, before they've ever entered into the promised land, to only celebrate, once you've entered into the promised land, only celebrate this in the place that I've selected. Think about that. 
400 years in slavery. They're wandering around in the wilderness. They've never been to the promised land. But God already had a destination. God already had a, a place that he has set his name. A bit of a rabbit trail. Some of you guys may have seen this. Some of you may have heard this. I'm not sure. But in Jerusalem, there's three valleys that come together right in Jerusalem. And the shape in English, it sort of looks like a lopsided W. In Hebrew, that is Shin. It makes the letter Shin. You can look it up. You can go home and Google it. You can look at it on Google Maps, and you can see these three valleys. And Mount Zion is, is right there. Mount Moriah, the, the city of David, the Temple Mount is right there on the other side, kind of in the middle. Sorry, hard to hold the mic and show you. And then the Mount of Olives is on the other side of that. Why am I telling you this? Because in Jewish culture, they don't say the name of God, but something they will say a lot is Hashem, the name. And the abbreviation or the way they represent it is with the Shin. If you come over to our house, we have a mezuzah on our doorpost, and all you see on that is the Hebrew letter Shin, because it stands for Hashem, the name. Only celebrate at the place where I am setting my name. God had a destination for the children of Israel. He had a place set when they were still in the wilderness. When they were still just stepping into their deliverance, he already had a destination. It was also in Deuteronomy, same chapter 16, where he commanded them that there was going to be three times a year, three annual feasts, that they were to, to go to this place that he was setting for them. They weren't in the promised land. I mean, that's like right now us trying to say, it's like me setting up a meeting with you for a room in the new building that doesn't have any rooms built in it yet. And I, that's like a poor comparison because that's like over there. You can pretty much see it. I've seen the physical building. You're in another country wandering in the wilderness. You've never even seen the promised land, but you're going by faith, believing that God is bringing you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And he's like, listen, when you get there, there's going to be three feasts. And at that time, no matter where you're living, no matter how far away you are, no matter what's going on in your life, you drop everything and you make pilgrimage and you come to that place where I've set my name to celebrate these feasts. Passover or Pesach. Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. If I have time, I'm going to tie those in a little bit. I'm going to move on. So, fast forward now. Book of Joshua. Joshua 5. The people are about to enter into the promised land. They are on the plains of Jericho. They, they've, they're, they're right there. About like it's before the walls of Jericho fell. They can see the promised land with their physical eyes. Guess what time of year it is? Christmas, no. <laughs> it's Passover. It is Passover. There is no GPS. 
There was no ETA. 40 years in the wilderness. Wandering around in the wilderness. And they happened to arrive on the same exact day that they got delivered out of Egypt. I think God might be into this. God spoke to Joshua and told him to circumcise all the males that were with him. And then they were to celebrate the, the Passover on the plains of Jericho. They celebrate the Passover. And, and part of the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a week-long feast. So it says that first night they celebrate the Passover and the next day is the first time that they eat of the produce of the land. And that day, the manna ceased because they were now tasting of the promise. At the same time, immediately after that is when Joshua encountered the captain of the hosts. Immediately after. Who's the captain? The lamb. Second Kings, Josiah restored the Passover. It hadn't been celebrated in a while. He cleanses the temple, tears down high places. And one of the first things he does is let's celebrate the Passover. Same time of year. Hezekiah in Second Chronicles does the same thing. Cleanses the temples like, we need a revival is what they're saying. God stirred something in the hearts of these kings, in the hearts of these men to, to return, to turn away from their wickedness, to turn away from the idolatry, to turn away from the, the society and the cultural norms around them and to return to the Lord to see the high places brought down, and guess what time of year it was? Hey, you guys are getting it. And they celebrated Passover. Are you noticing a pattern? And Ezra, the exiles returned to Jerusalem, and they celebrated. You guys over here can hear me okay, right? This is... Passover. We're good, right? Passover. Let's jump into the Gospel of John. John 2. We know this story. Jesus cleanses the temple. He goes in there and sees Monday lenders and people selling stuff. And what's he do? He nicely, politely asks them to leave, right? No, he makes a whip. He turns over tables. He's shouting at him and kicks him out and says, you know, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Guess what time of year that was? It says it right there, John 2.13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. You know the rest of the story. In verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
Jesus himself, at the time of Passover, was standing, cleansing the temple. Sound like Hezekiah and Josiah? Cleansing the temple, and they asked for a sign, and he prophesied. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. We know he wasn't talking about the temple, but was talking about himself as the Passover lamb. John 6, 6 1. After, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the, you guys are with me, Feast of Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread? Said these, so that these people may eat. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It happened at... Wait, wait, wait. It happened at... Acts 12. James is killed. Herod sees that this pleased the Jews. He imprisons Peter. Peter, he puts him under charge of four guards. He's laying in prison between guards, chained up. Guess what time of year it was? And an angel appears to him, pokes him in the side, says, get up. The chains fall off of him. He's delivered. He walks out of prison. He goes to the house, and Rhoda, the servant girl, leaves him standing at the door. <laughs> Poor Rhoda. Can you, can you imagine that's how you're remembered? <laughs> Anyways. But again, at Passover, there's all these accounts of revival and miracles and God meeting his people at a specific appointed time. Now, we went a little out of order. Where do we go? We went a little out of order. We jumped to Acts 12. But let's jump back. All those stories from Exodus 12 going through all those years in the wilderness, to Joshua and the Israelites on the plains of Jericho, to the kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, celebrating the Passover, them entering it. I mean, all of these things happening. And Jesus comes on the scene and is crucified at there's already a people set on a course. There's already an expectation built into the people. They were people that every year they were used to living with the lamb for four days. Well, that was until the temple system, and that's when we won't get into all that. But anyways, the origins of it. Can you imagine? I mean, we read these stories. I, I literally, I can't imagine this. If we still had to do this today, try to imagine yourself. Parents in here? Any parents? Okay. Imagine every year 
every single year bringing a lamb home. Sorry, kids. That little lamb running around your house playing with your kids for four days. And then on the fourth day, going outside with millions of people at the same time. Do you think that would have been culturally ingrained into these people? So that when Jesus shows up on the scene with his disciples and he's been telling them that he's going to be crucified, this wasn't a novel idea. When he's speaking to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he's like, are you serious? Are you serious? You, 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 you didn't. Passover. You didn't get that? Okay, let's go through it again, guys. Let me open this thing up for you. And walks them through all of Scripture. Now imagine being a disciple of Jesus, living with the Lamb for three years, day in and day out, walking with him, ministering with him, goofing around and hanging out with him, befriending him. And he's been telling you what's going to happen. And every year, you celebrate Passover. They've already celebrated three of them. But this year, he sits down with you at the table, and it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. He was saying, this is it, guys. This is our last Passover together. I'm instituting a new covenant. I am the lamb. But he didn't leave them hopeless. He set a destination. This is the last time we're going to share this cup for now. Until. And we know the story that Jesus was crucified. It was during the time of Passover that he was buried. Three days later, he rose up. We know all of these things. But do we simply see Passover or Easter as a holiday? Or do we see it as an appointed time? I don't care how you celebrate it. Hide your eggs. Whatever you eat for it. How, whatever you do to celebrate. But is it just another holiday are we knowing this word so well? Are we looking at it 
like a course for our lives that when another appointed time rolls around, are we expecting God to move? Are we expecting him to deliver his people? Are we expecting him to part the seas in front of us? Are we expecting to see the power of death broken again? Are we expecting to see his pillar of fire and his cloud come? I'm just going to touch on Sukkot and Shavuot a little bit. It was during Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, in John 7, 37, when Jesus stood up on the last day of the feast and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. We know this one. If you believe in me, as the scriptures have said, out of your innermost being will come living water. As the scriptures have said, if you align yourself with the continuity, with the trajectory of the kingdom of heaven, you are putting yourself in line with a river of living water that will burst forth from your innermost being. It was during this feast, one of the three main feasts, so at that time of year, everybody, every male was commanded to come up to Jerusalem to be at the temple. And there is a ceremony during uh, during Sukkot where they actually, the priests would pour out water on the temple. And they, they'd, they'd draw uh, jars of water, and they'd pour it out, and they'd pray for rain. And that's, I'm going to actually read this, just a little background on it. It's something I pulled off the internet, so it's got to be good. <laughs> There's some scripture in here, so we're, it's legal. The deliriously, so this is from the Jewish perspective. For the, oh, it's explained, sorry, I'll just read it. The deliriously happy celebration connected with water drawing developed when the Pharisees, who believed in the oral tradition and ter- interpretation of the Torah, gave us, a, and they gave us a rabbinic Judaism that we know today, when they triumphed, when they overtook the Sadducees, they instituted this, this, um, celebration that I'm telling you about where they drew this water and they pour it out and it's called deliriously happy celebration because they base it on Isaiah's promise in Isaiah 12 3 with joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation With joy, you, will dr- you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. It's on this day that Jesus himself stands up during this feast and cries out, anyone who thirsts, come to me. You want living water? Out of your innermost being will flow living water. It's in there. Isaiah. Isaiah 12. That's our Bible. That's my Bible. It's in there. I looked it up to make sure it says the same thing. It does. 
During Shavuot, uh, the Feast of Weeks, this was the same time that God met Moses on Mount Sinai and gave the law. He'd already appointed the feasts. And in this, during this appointed time, he meets Moses on a mountain in fire. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, go to Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Father, guess what time of year it was? Not Passover. Shavuot. Feast of Weeks. He met the disciples on a mountain in fire. When he told them to go and wait on this promise, guys, there was an expectancy. There was an understanding. Wait a minute. Here we are on a mountaintop waiting on the Lord when Jesus, the Messiah, who I just watched ascend into heaven, tells me to go and wait for the promise of God. I know this is an anniversary. This is an appointed time when he met Moses on top of the mountain in fire. Do you think there was faith in that room as they were fasting and praying and waiting? It wasn't a random time. It was an appointment. Tonight's an appointed time. This isn't a cultural celebration. This isn't if you're Jewish, you do this. This is if you believe your Bible. As the scripture has said, you're placing yourself in alignment with this path with this trajectory that we see throughout a scripture that points to right now. This day for thousands of years has been marked by salvation, by deliverance, by the power of death being beaten, by miraculous provision, by seeing obstacles I mean, imagine the Red Sea parted in front of the people. The children of Israel about to enter into the promised land. Joshua meeting with the captain of the host. Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples and giving his life for us. Started tonight. Can I have the worship team? Can you guys... This wasn't a history lesson. This wasn't to simply look back. This was to make a point along the journey that tonight is important. That tonight is not a coincidence. That tonight's not an accident. Let's just start to pray. If you're here tonight and you've never met Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't know him as the lamb that was slain for you, maybe you know it, but you've never yielded to it and given him your life, you're not here by accident. This isn't a coincidence. Can we get the prayer team to come up? 
if you've been believing the Lord for breakthrough, oh, you guys are getting quiet on me now, huh? Anybody in here believing the Lord for breakthrough? I don't know about you, but I cannot read through all of these scriptures. I cannot look at the history of my God and this family that I've been born into and not have faith tonight. If you've been contending for a breakthrough, I believe, I have faith that there are illnesses that people have been struggling with for a long time that are going to get set free tonight, that are going to get healed tonight. Why? Because God marked his calendar. Because God set an appointed time to meet with his people. I believe if you're believing for breakthrough or miraculous provision, the God who poured out manna from heaven, can you imagine that opening up the heavens and pouring out the very need that his people had, that they could eat straight from, from heaven? Guys, there's nothing that he can't do. If he can part the Red Sea. If Jesus would show up on the bank, on the plains of Jericho, to welcome the Israelites into the promise. If he would send his son and if Jesus himself would give his life at this appointed time. What will he not do for you tonight? I want to invite you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you why you're coming forward or what you're coming forward for. But if you need any of those things or if you just want to encounter the Lord, if you're believing this is an appointed time and God, I want to make myself available to meet with you tonight, I'm believing you, then I want to invite you to come forward. You can come up here and you can just worship. You can get in the presence of God. If you want somebody to pray with you, if you have not accepted Jesus and fully surrendered your life, just come up front to one of these people that are standing with their back to us over here specifically. Jane, will you go over there? Do you mind going over there? Jane, will you lift your hand up? There's Jane over there with her hands up. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus, if you have not met him and given him your life, you can go over with Jane and the team there and they'll pray with you. But just come up. If you guys in the aisle, just come up, spread out. If you're just going to come up and worship and just get in his presence, that's fine. If you want prayer, somebody to come and pray for you, come up and grab a prayer servant. Father, we thank you. that you had tonight marked on your calendar. We thank you that this wasn't our idea. We thank you that this isn't a coincidence and that we didn't coordinate or orchestrate this, but that you've been waiting for tonight. You've been waiting to meet us, to pour out tonight. And we just say, have your way. Have your way.
sorry, if I didn't make this clear, the feasts of the Lord are celebrations. They're times of joy. They're times we remember his deliverance. They're times that we look to his goodness. They're times that we celebrate, that we serve a living God who would actually step down out of the heavens, out of eternity, into a, a certain time and place to give his life. This is a time to be full of joy and expectancy. I'm not trying to steer you. You can meet with him and encounter however you want. I just wanna make sure that the atmosphere in here is not heavy. Guess what? The Holy Spirit does not get chased away if we clap, if we scream, if we shout, if we dance. He will be here. If you need to be still before him, that's fine. But if you just want to jump and twirl and scream and shout, you go for it. There's freedom in his presence. That's why he died. Thank you, Jesus. Renee asked if I had anything in Hebrew to pray over you or sing over you. And what came to me immediately was the scripture in Isaiah that said, arise and shine, arise and shine, and, the, and the, the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And it's the same word there in Hebrew that it is when Jesus speaks to Talita, the young girl, and he says, get up, rise up. It's the same word, rise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It's the same word as that he speaks to Talita. Get up. She's only sleeping. Get up. I feel the Lord wants to say that over you as we're speaking about his death, his resurrection power. The breakthrough and deliverance is coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.